people of God in Christ, uh, the point has been made in the past, and uh, it needs to be made again this morning, that uh, God's word is a matter of truth. And uh, the preaching of God's word is the matter of truth spoken into a world of sin and error and deception. I believe that too many people who confess to be Christian show up at church each Lord's Day merely to pay their dues, merely to sing, pray, and hear a sermon, a sermon that they uh, may very well say amen to, maybe, if, uh, if they're feeling generous. But otherwise, it's a matter of ceremony. You listen to a sermon, you say amen, if it doesn't interrupt your life or your attitude too much, and that's the extent of Lord's Day observance. But the point of the preaching of God's Word is to turn things upside down. Wouldn't we expect as much? If error and false teaching is the stuff of the devil, and if the preaching of God's Word is the truth, the opposite of Satan's deception, then shouldn't we expect that the preaching of God's word is going to be controversial? Certainly, it will be contrary to the way we are given to think in our sin. And shouldn't we have the expectation that we're going to hear the truth and and that the truth of God's word is going to be a correction, a a reversal, a, a call to repentance for each one of us? Because God's word even says in, in Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand Any who seek after him. And the answer is this, that they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So here we are upon another Lord's Day, staring God himself, as it were, in the face by the preaching of his word. And the point is to hear the preaching, not just from the Bible, but from God's word, the truth, even God's own truth. Isn't it curious that we are, we are so capable, even so given, to make a distinction between God's word and the truth? We are willing to hear the word of God, and yet we reserve the right to determine if we're hearing the truth. On one hand, it, it makes sense. Because the truth of God comes in the superlative, we might say, uh, the truth of God comes in the extreme. But more to the point of discomfort for the sinner, the truth of God comes in contradiction to the world and to us as far as we are thinking and living according to the world. We start this way because there are two themes that run through the story before us. It's the continuing story of Joseph, the beloved son of Jacob. He's been sold into slavery, and now we get to hear 
the rest of the story. After the interlude of the story of Judah, setting up a kind of comparison and contrast, the historical record returns to Joseph. And two themes dominate the story. One is the suffering of Joseph, which we might actually have to struggle to some degree to see, a point that I want to make. Second, and and surprisingly so, the, the, the second theme is the success of Joseph. Success in slavery. Really? Yes, and that's even the point. That's the message of God's Word in this story. So, first, as a first point, brought to Egypt. Last time we heard that Judah willingly departed from the covenant community. Joseph, on the other hand, was sold into slavery and was brought to Egypt. Genesis 39, verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Maybe it's just me, but these words uh, remind me of uh, what our Lord said to Peter uh, to prepare him for the ministry that that God was calling him to do. Uh, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, again, speaking to Peter, this is from uh, John 21, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And isn't it true of us all uh, that we find ourselves in life going all too often where we do not want to go? At some point in our lives, whether at a young age like Joseph or in our old age like Peter, we find that we are not so much living our life, but that our life is living us, so to speak. And the words brought down to Egypt remind us of what has happened. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And there is a sense, as we saw last time, that they sold themselves into slavery at the same time. By way of their guilt and, and, and grief, uh, and by way of the grief of their father, life became so unbearable uh, that Judah left Uh, even for several decades, it would seem, if not longer. But But that misery probably shouldn't be compared to Joseph's misery. Judah was at least still free. Judah was able to still do what he wanted, even if what he wanted was to enter into a bitter life of sin. Joseph, on the other hand, was brought down to Egypt. The emphasis is clearly there. It gets worse. Second, Joseph was bought as a slave. The record continues to say, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there again there is a, a reference to joseph being brought 
ever feel that way. Beyond your control, nothing you can do about it. It just happens to you and not by your choosing. Uh, But beyond being brought, Joseph was even bought as a slave. Uh, Given the the whole story, as we probably know it, uh, we might tend to pass over these words rather casually. In in other words, we we know also, as our text uh, makes clear, that God was with Joseph. Verse 2 even records that the Lord was with Joseph. And, And notice the name. It doesn't just say that God was with Joseph. Uh, In other words, it's it's not just a general reference uh, to whatever God, uh, but it's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, that we hear. Yahweh was with Joseph. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and his father Jacob was with Joseph as he was brought and bought in Egypt. Joseph himself would later make it clear from the depths of his own understanding years later that you meant evil against me, said Joseph to his trembling brothers, but God meant it for good. And we hear it again in this chapter in Genesis 39 verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And here's a point to remember that that God is the unchanging God of Scripture. Here's a point to, to take it to our hearts that the same is true for you and me as believers in Jesus Christ, that the Lord is with us as well. And if it was true for Joseph, as as he was even sold by his brothers, brought to a land far away and sold into slavery, like the merchandise of a traveling pawn shop, well then it's certainly true for you and me that as much evil may befall us, yet we have a God of steadfast love. And we can always say, well, if, if, uh, if God is showing me steadfast love, then why is this happening to me in the first place? It's not a bad question. In fact, it's an important question to ask because there is always an answer. It may take a while to understand the answer, to clear up the whys of our lives. But the point is that there is always, take this to heart, there is always a why, a a reason according to God's wise plan for our lives in this world. But the suffering of Joseph continues as he is besought, using rhyming words here, as he is besought by wickedness. Verse 6 tells us that Joseph grew to be a man and that he was a handsome man in form and appearance, and so that after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. 
And here again is, is an experience that uh, we might recognize that when things go bad and, and then get worse, uh, and yet there is a calm in the storm when things begin to look up a bit, perhaps, there is something, in this case someone, to turn things bad again. Joseph had been sold and brought to Egypt. He had been bought as a slave to a man named Potiphar. But the Lord was with Joseph, so that Joseph was at least finding success as a servant in the household and service of Potiphar. But Potiphar's wife comes into the equation, and she is a wicked woman, and she besought him, which is to say she begged him to commit adultery with her. Some men, most men maybe, would have said, uh, I just can't catch a break. Uh, About the time things start looking up, along comes this problem. Joseph, however, was faithful, and he, he was faithful by way of being mindful. Good lesson for us being mindful of God's blessing upon him. And and remember the context. He had been sold into slavery. Uh, He was now serving as a slave. Why should he care about doing the right thing at every turn? That's the thing with sin, that uh, when we are sinned against, it presents the temptation to sin in return. Uh, Everyone else is sinning. Uh, in fact, they're sinning against me, and that's the temptation. But Joseph's response is quite remarkable. He says, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then? Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice that while Joseph recognized the immediate circumstances uh, for why he should not give way to temptation, yet in the end it was because this sin would be against God. That was why Joseph refused the advances of this wicked woman the wife of his master. And yet the result was that Joseph was caught in revenge. Here perhaps is uh, the origin of the modern day proverb, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. When Joseph had refused her one time too many, she took her revenge, which shows that she really didn't care about him in the first place. Uh, has anyone really cared about Joseph from, from the beginning? Uh, there was his father, of course, who favored him uh, even above his other sons. But as a result, he was hated by his brothers. He was sold by them. Uh, his master Potiphar certainly favored him. I guess we can count that. But only as a servant who could get things done for him and give him a life of ease. Then along comes this wicked woman to make things even worse. Here's a point to make a connection uh, to our own culture, because uh, sexual abuse has has apparently been so common in our culture that that the current protocol for anyone, usually a woman, uh, 
anyone who claims abuse is to believe her. It's the nefarious Me Too movement, the idea that women who have been abused deserve to be heard. I think we can all agree to that. Uh, along with the moral tenet that uh, a man ought not be allowed to use his power and authority to abuse a woman. Well, the problem comes when the way to fix it is to say, uh, if abuse is alleged, it ought to be believed solely on the basis of the allegation. That's our society's way of fixing injustice. If it is alleged, then it is true. Let that sink in. If it is alleged, then it is true. And if someone wants to say, well, I guess to fix the situation, that's just what we have to do. Well, then that person need only wait until they are accused, even falsely accused, before they might recognize that that doesn't fix it. And so the rule is this, that that if even nine out of ten persons of a certain ethnicity commit crimes, it is still unfair to treat the tenth honest person as a criminal. It it used to be called stereotyping. I'm, I'm not sure we hear that word too much anymore. Nine white men have robbed me, therefore the tenth white man walking toward me is going to rob me. Wrong, says our culture. The tenth white man is not necessarily like the other nine. You don't really know him by the color of his skin. And we can all agree to that, can we not? But what happened to that logic? It's gone. Because now if the accusation gets made, then it must be true when it comes to sexual abuse. Men have been known to behave like pigs. Therefore, every man is guilty as, as accused. Well, all of this to say, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Why is Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, what has been is what will be, and what has been is what will be, or what has been done uh, is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. We have cell phones and and technology, but is there really anything all that different? If it is true that men have been known to behave like pigs, it is uh, certainly equally true that women have been known to behave like pigs. And such is the case with the wife of Joseph's master. She made repeated attempts to seduce Joseph, met by Joseph's repeated refusals until the last time was apparently one time too many. She falsely accused him. She used her position to land him in prison. The text even suggests that she was so angry with her husband so that her anger boiled over in what she did to Joseph. And so the suffering of Joseph continued as he was fraught with trouble. Brought against his will to the land of Egypt, bought as a slave to serve his master without rights, 
besought by a wicked woman who had no problem landing Joseph in prison in retribution for his righteousness so that he was caught. He was caught in her scheme of revenge all to be fraught with trouble. Joseph now served time, as we say, for something he did not do. But the Lord was still with him. And that's the point. Again, it's not just that God was with him, but that the Lord, Yahweh, was with him in the steadfast love and covenant faithfulness that he showed him. All of which applies to us in this way, that that we can... We can bemoan the circumstances of our lives. In fact, we, we ought to grieve when bad things happen to us. The call issued by the God of covenant love is not uh, to wear a plastic smile on our faces. That's the stuff of the world. Que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Don't worry, be happy. Uh, when life hands you lemons... Well, just make lemonade. Never mind that lemons are actually quite sour until you add a little sugar. That's, that's the world's way. Just be happy. And you can do that for about three seconds. And then the reality of the world comes crashing in upon you once again. Psalm 90 sums it up when when it says that we, we might live to be 70, maybe even 80 if we happen to be strong enough. But that's still less than 90. And, uh, and whether 70, 80, or 90, yet the span of our life is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So let's end by looking at uh, the second theme that runs through this portion of God's Word. Not that we haven't already to some degree, but uh, not only do we see Joseph's suffering, but also his success. Remarkable. And here's where the Word of God runs or, or turns things on their head. Here is the reversal. Here is the call to understand reality, not according to the foolishness of the world, but according to the wisdom of God. Verse 2 again says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Not only that, but the text makes it clear what success uh, Joseph found. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Note Note again that the reference is to the Lord which is to say to Yahweh. So not only was Joseph successful in, in, uh, in, in serving his master well and uh, in being a blessing to him, but Joseph was also a witness to his master of the one true God. Joseph was a slave. It, it was doubtful that he even had the freedom to go out in the evening and take in a movie. I know, they didn't have movies back then. Or, or, or to do some shopping in the, in the city square. It's unlikely that Joseph got a day off each week. He certainly didn't have a, a labor union to back him up. 
But through it all, his master came to realize that the Lord was with Joseph. Granted, Joseph's master might have said, uh, Wow, you, uh, you must not have a very good God if your God allowed you to be sold into slavery. But that wasn't the force of Joseph's testimony. The force of Joseph's testimony was that his God blessed him even in the dire circumstances of slavery. Are we willing to give the same testimony? Certainly let us grieve. Let us even complain to a certain degree. Why shouldn't we complain a bit when when the prophets uh, were known to complain to God? Uh, God, you have all this power. Nothing is impossible for you. Why then do your people suffer? So let us complain and let us grieve the circumstances of our lives. But above all, let us trust and let us leave our success to God. We, we, we start out in life thinking to do great things. Pastors aspire to be another R.C. Sproul. Uh, business people want to be CEOs uh, or at least managers. Uh, teachers want to work their way up to administration. And, and against all of this is the story of Joseph, a slave in Egypt, to whom God gave success. The Lord was with Joseph. And that really is the main point of the story because verse 2 says again, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And verse 3 adds, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And then at the end, like a, like a closing bookend, at the end in verse 23, we hear it again, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The point is not to forbid all thought of advancement, but the point instead is to call for contentment. The call is is to urge trust in the Lord. And, and the point is to bestow peace upon the people of God. I, I, I would give you peace. I can say grace to you and peace, but I, I can't give you peace except by showing you this in God's word, that, that there is peace found in letting God decide what success is for you. The old, the old Sunday school song comes around again. Uh, Jesus bids us shine with a pure, pure light, like a little candle burning in the night. Uh, in this world of darkness, we must shine. You in your small corner and I in mine. From the mouths of babes. Great truth from God's word. So let fathers chase their careers. Advancement is a good thing if you can find it. But don't belittle the job of just being a good father. And and let mothers chase their aspirations, but let them not neglect the honor of their husbands and the good of their children. 
And let the servant serve wherever he or she is placed by God. Because that's the point. That God put Joseph right where he was, even when he was in prison. Even when he was falsely accused. Could you do that? Could you land in prison and yet say, well, this is where God has placed me. I will serve him here too. We might say, yes, I I could do that. I I would do that. Well, then do it now. (laughs) Wherever you are, you, you may not be where you want to be. You may not be where you expected to be by this point in your life, but you are where God has placed you. You can be sure of that. So go to it. Be the servant that God calls you to be. Serve Christ wherever you are. And count that your success. And if the example of Joseph is uh, not enough for you, in a sense it shouldn't be enough for you. And if not, then remember that Joseph is only the foreshadowing Joseph is only the prefiguration. Consider Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Consider the success that Jesus had, how? By dying on a cross. Consider that God did his greatest work through human flesh by sending his son to die. And so by the call of God's word, die with Christ. Put pride to death within you. Serve as Joseph served. But even more, serve as Jesus served. To show that the Spirit of Jesus is within you. Let the Word of God turn your world upside down. And as you do so, remember that by turning the world upside down, God, by His Word, is really turning things right side up again. How will you define success? Will you insist on following the world and only finding disappointment after disappointment? Or will you let God give you success according to His perfect wisdom? Amen. Let's pray together. Grant, O God, by your Spirit, that we would come to this understanding that your Word is not uh, there and here and preach to adjust our thinking, but to replace it, to turn things right side up again. And that success, according to your word, according to your own definition and will, is to serve wherever we are placed. In whatever humble or even humiliating circumstances we are given. And we do thank you that we know the rest of the story, that we know the coming of Christ and the glory that he has earned for us and promised to us. And so may we all the more be called to serve in this life, being content and finding a 
an unexpected peace in simply submitting to your truth and to your will in our lives. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.